Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. We see a tremendous amount of that. And as a matter of fact, just, I'm not sure about Oregon, but the state of Washington put, his, put together a statute specifically to uh, stop flipping by non-contractors so that you can't just buy a house, throw some stuff in it and, and flip it if you don't own it for a couple of years. And it's codified so that labor and industries can actually go after these these people but the problem the problem with a flipper is that you don't have any of the insurance that a builder would have on defects in the in the property when it comes to remodeling and renovating your home there is a lot to know but we've got you covered this is around the house welcome to around the house show this is where we talk everything about your home every single week. Thanks for joining us today. We have an old friend of mine in the studio that is somebody that I have leaned on over the years for knowledge and advice on everything with construction. Michael Showalter, welcome to Around the House, my friend. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Eric. Thanks, man. This is great. And a little history with you. You have been running from, geez, what, 1993 on construction dispute resolution out of uh, the Seattle area, correct? That's right. And prior to that, I was a home builder for 20 years. And every time over the last, geez, 15 years, probably at least, when I have had problems with somebody or even one of my family members have had problems with a construction-related issue that was going sideways, you were my first phone call. Well, I was very honored to to be there for you. Sometimes we can help, sometimes we can't, but we sure enjoy the story one way or another. Exactly. And and we'll start out by saying you're not an attorney, but so this is not legal advice by any means, but you are that person that goes in and says, "Okay, Mr. and Mrs. or whatever homeowner, this is how we need to help navigate this to get this figured out so we can get this mediated. Yeah. Typically, we'll get an incoming call and it's someone that's been referred to us or their attorney. And we have no idea what is up or down with the project. We try and vet the client and make sure that there's somebody we can work with. And then just do Basically, as our Microsoft clients say, we look from 50,000 feet down and hone in on the, the project. I will tell you that the from the inception of the company, I do some mediation and arbitration, but a lot of the time, I'd say the majority of the time, we're actually on the defense, whether and a contractor is suing an owner or an owner is suing a contractor or a supplier or an architect. So we, we try and be fair and balanced on both sides. 
Excellent point. Excellent point. Because just as we see that handful of bad contractors out there, there is an equal amount of bad homeowners out there. Let's be honest that are the contract was the contract. They did it per the contract and the homeowner wants something else. And the other thing that came to light, we started in 93 and we've been through a couple recessions since then. What was fascinating was in the last two major recessions is the number of deals that started to flip because money got tight. And when they started to flip, the homeowner would find an expert to find fault with the construction so they wouldn't have to pay for it. And we found that was very, very interesting. The marriage was great until money became tight. All of a sudden the blue tape gets out and they've got the electron microscope out looking for flaws. And as the best home builder in the world, if you and I wanted to go around and find something wrong, we could probably go around and find something wrong. Well, that's what we tell our client. They, they, they will call and they'll say, we have a problem with the house. And we say, okay, we need you to provide us with a punch list or a list of defects, because just like you said, Eric, we can go into any house, our investigators here at Construction Dispute Resolution can go into any house on the West Coast and make them hate their house, right? And that's not our job. Our job is to look at what they're unhappy with and see if we can get it rectified. Exactly. And that's one of the things I love about our audience here is that we've got about 60% homeowners and about 40% designers and remodelers. So this is going to be in, in contractors. So this is kind of both both of you guys and all of those situations. This can affect both people equally, just depending on what side of the coin you're on. So, Michael, when you get that phone call in and you get that going, are there any common things that you see outside of money that have been the red flags that you see that are the common phone calls that you get? Yeah, one of the things we just had a staff meeting on, and it's expectation. And we, we, I, I use the, the silly story of a guy comes into the office and said, I, I just saw this beautiful girl, right? And so everybody mm-hmm. else conjures up what a beautiful girl is. And it might be a 400-pound woman with beautiful red hair, or it might be a six-foot Amazon. So yeah. the when somebody says, hey, I want a really cool dining room, what does that mean, right? Yeah. Or I, I really want that that siding to really stand out. Well, is that, what is that? So finding the expectation and starting a project with full specification solves a whole lot of problems, particularly if I have to come in or one of our investigators and say, well, what, what did you expect? Well, I, I want it to look really good. Well, what did you tell him? You know, what kind of finishes? Well, we were just going to finish, figure it out. And he, he thought it'd be about this much. And I said, if you told me you wanted a car and I priced a Chevy Impala and you had expected a Tesla, we'd be upside down, right? I'd be out shopping for the, <laughs> the, the Impala. So starting a project with everyone understanding uh, to the best ability what it's going to look like, what the scope of work is, what the budget is, what the time frame is, and and how the how the builder is supposed to prosecute the work. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting because I see the same things out there when I'm talking with you out there, our listening audience, and people go, "I'll jump in on something," and they'll have a problem, 
And I'll get what my first question is, what did the contract say? Because that's really what you're holding as a homeowner. That's what you're holding the contractor to. And they go, oh, we didn't really have a contract. And that's when I'm like, oh, now we're in the he said, she said world. And that seems to be, and, and it's also one of the warning signs. Yeah. A proposal is not a contract per se, right? And there's no yep. dispute resolution clause in there. There's no payment clause. There's, there, there's nothing in there that really, what if there's changes in the work? How much is the contractor billing for their labor? What kind of markup are they going to get for any change orders? Are there deductive change orders if you take stuff out? So you really need a contract. I mean, it, it, there's no brain surgery here. It's just a contract. Yeah. And to be honest, the more detailed, the better. If you're doing a kitchen remodel, I like to see on there the allowance for the, when you're going to contract, I'd love to see the allowance for the knobs or the faucet because you can go buy a $100 faucet or a $10,000 faucet. What is that faucet, right? Yep. Yep. And, and again, just choose something because if you, if you have, if you go to a plumbing showroom and Eric, I know you instructed me on this years ago, you can go to a plumbing showroom, you can go to an appliance showroom, you can have them spec out some stuff for the house. Then if you change your mind, you've got something that you're changing from. And, you know, the homeowner can't say, well, I saw this thing at Home Depot and it was only 11 bucks and here it's a hundred dollars. Well, you didn't spec anything. We just assumed that you wanted something that worked that didn't break. And nowadays we've got so many more issues out there as we're building homes tighter and we've got newer processes in homes. We're starting to see when in the seventies and eighties, when homes just were passive and breathed so well, it wasn't as big an issue, but now we're building homes that are tighter and, and mold becomes even so much of a more problem on some of these things that are, I mean, look at how many issues we had out there over the years, probably 10 years ago with all the drive it stuff out there and the, the stucco on the outside of buildings that was failing and all of those different things. And it seems those things come in waves as well. You know, they do. And, and that, that's, you bring up a very interesting point in what we call the M word, the mold word. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's something that terrifies people. So if we have, we've got a case in Idaho or we have a case in Alaska, or we've got a case in, in Oregon or Eastern Washington, all those different climates, they, they just work differently. And to try and figure out, is there a problem? One of the things we tell our clients is if you see a, a spot on the wall, it, it's not going to kill you necessarily, right? That mold sure. is ubiquitous and it's an organic growth. And it can be, like you said, Eric, could be solved with some ventilation. It can be solved with, with a number of things. And it isn't always a critical thing that you have to crucify the builder or the architect on. Exactly. And, and to be honest, if you walk outside, you're breathing mold every single day. I don't care if you've got, if you're in an area where green grass will grow in the yard, I can promise you, if you go outside and do a mold sample in the air out there, there's mold in the air. Right. And if you want to find, if you want to find mold in your house, there is a vendor out there that's on Google or Bing or Yahoo that will find mold in your house and they'll write up a report that you're going to die. Okay. And so that's why it's very, very important if you if you suspect that you have uh, an industrial hygiene problem, and that would be air or water quality, that you contact a certified industrial hygienist. They'll have a CIH behind their name. 
they're accredited, and they'll come out and do the proper sampling, and they'll also write a repair protocol for you. There you go. That's basically like the 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 structural engineer of the mold of your house or your the or the interior house there as far as that what's in the air. That's they're the they're the the be all end all really for them to come in and do that. Yep. Yep. And they're the the good ones are not going to be alarmist at all. And mm-hmm. I mean I, I I we could have a five hour program of just how I've had certified industrial hygienists walk somebody down and, and get them off the top of the cliff. So they're going to jump that their house is okay. Right. Even yeah. though they have this report from a, a non-accredited person mold to go or whatever the name of their company is. <laughs> exactly. That, that has no, has no substance. It's just, it's just a fear mongering so they can get some work. I see that so much and, and it could be mold. I see that with foundations. There are certain foundation companies that go around and they'll see a little tiny crack in the concrete and they'll spend an hour in your house telling you how your house is going to fall down and that they have a $30,000 fix for it. And if you don't sign in the contract today, it's going to be 40% more tomorrow. We see all those things out there and maybe that's a $3,000 fix. Or maybe it's not even a fix. We'll, we'll get out to review these estimates and look at the house. If if you find eight year old mold or moss in a crack out there, it means it hasn't moved, right? And it Correct. could have occurred right when the foundation was poured. So you have to monitor it. You don't necessarily have to put pin piles or helical anchors underneath the entire foundation. And I've done so many repairs over the years with foundation companies that I've worked with where carbon fiber can be used on it. And it's a very inexpensive fix and it's a, it's a Simpson strong type type product that you can put on there and they use it to repair bridges and, and, uh, and columns and things like that in the commercial world. And real engineers will look at it and go, Hey, yeah, we do have a little problem. It's again, it's not one of those things where they're, you're jacked the house up and fix it, but it seems to me, and I always tell our, our audience out there, you guys, if if a contractor comes in and it's going to be 40% more tomorrow, or if you don't sign today kind of things, there's my first warning sign of maybe you're talking to the wrong people if they're putting that level of pressure on you. Yep. Yep. And and that that brings up another point that you may, I know that you've talked to me about this in the past is checking the references. Okay. You're going to want to talk to three or four customers and go out and see the work. I, I don't care if it's a builder or a foundation contractor. And then ask them the hard questions. What's the best about working with this company? And if you could change one thing about working with this company, what would it be? If you get an answer back from the homeowner, well, they showed up pretty good sometimes. And and if the superintendent was sober most of the time, it would have been even better. Right? I mean, you just <laughs> you need to ask these hard questions. Yep. Those are good questions. And what's the other thing that's, it's to me is frustrating out there in the world of construction is that building code deals with a lot of life, safety, welfare, the people that are in the house, but it really doesn't have much to do with the quality of the craftsmanship. You can have a door that's installed and meets code, but maybe it's horribly done. And that's why you have to kind of land on both of those. It, it, it should meet code, but Meeting code isn't isn't always the best option. You want to be a little beyond that in any case. 
Right. I mean, we look at code as a prescriptive manner for life safety issue. So the code official that comes out is empowered to enforce life safety. Is the water safe to drink? Is the electricity not going to shock you to death? Is the building not going to fall down? Et cetera, et cetera. But if, if it looks like a third grader painted the front door, you know, they could care less on that, right? And exactly. for the builder to say, well, the past inspection, it's okay. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the trim molding should not have quarter inch gaps at the miters. It just is not something that is acceptable. So having a specification exactly. and expectation there, and, and we reference the National Association of Home Builders residential performance guidelines. And they they bring a new version of that every once in a while. It, that should be the minimum standard that a builder would rely on. And it gives them something if it, they put it in their contract to go back on. And if the homeowner is laying on the back on their back in the middle of the night with a flashlight going up the wall looking for imperfections in the drywall, you have a standard to say, no, that's not the way you you do that. You know? It, exactly. It's okay if you're standing six feet away from the building or the, the wall. So, yeah, having, yeah. A, having a performance standard out there that, would, that goes beyond the code. I was at a house that, oh, this was probably 15 or 18 years ago. And it was one of the new ICF homes with the foam that they stack up and they pour the concrete in. Really energy efficient and cool. But the problem was, is when they poured the house, it was a windy day. So the back wall of the house had a bow like a sail where it was over by <laughs> two and a half inches. Well, the builder came in and followed that with their studs on the inside. And I was trying to figure out why we had a two and a half inch bow on the back of the kitchen wall. By the time I was out there, they were, I was like, oh, and it passed code. It was structurally sound. It yep. just had a radius to it. And so, it, it, and yeah, it wasn't it, an easy fix because you had to do that. Well, either you fur the wall, the whole wall in or out, and so you lose square footage, you're not going to move an ICF wall because it's structural concrete. It's it's interesting to see just how many different things. And just when I'm sure you're the same way, when I go, oh, I think I've seen it all. Somebody comes in and goes, hey, I got one for you. And we all scratch our heads too. Oh, I, I love those. I love getting <laughs> educated and... <laughs> And going and saying, this really, I thought the last one defied imagination, but this one really trumped that. Because how yeah. could somebody think that this is acceptable? It's it's wild. And I think one of the biggest problems that I'm seeing in residential construction now inside the home has been tile, right? Tile in bathrooms, a shower, tile on the floor. I, I see more problems these days with tile of not hiring the right people or not having the right expectation on what's going on there. Are you seeing that there as well? You no, know, we do. And it starts probably the most egregious problems that we see are shower pans and showers where you have a, a poured um, floor in the in tile. It's supposed to have a two-part drain, maybe using the wetty system, which is waterproofing on the walls. But then it, it looks like somebody just comes in and they don't understand that the tile has to have the same grout lines and the tile has to be flush. And there's a way that you do the base to the floor. It's just like, mm -hmm. 
you start the tile and with the invisible drains, how oftentimes that they'll they'll put that tile in so that the invisible drain doesn't drain, right? So, yeah, you're right. Tile is a it's a simple thing to do if you know how to do it, and it is a nightmare if you're not familiar with it. Well, great example. There was a project you and I w- worked on a number of years ago, and I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't want to bring any personal things into this. But there was. I want to give these people, everybody, their privacy in this, but the tile work was that way. The, the, the shower, for instance, and I went out to look at it and the shower had exposed drywall in it. And it was just like, what, what is going on? There wasn't the waterproofing membrane. It was just so poorly done. And it's shocking that that still happens out there today. But tile is such an interesting one because I can I can take a look at a picture and these days now that I've really learned from a lot of great people out there in the tile world that I'll sit there and I can look at the picture and go that's not going to be right. I can see where the problem is right away. But so many contractors out there and so many homeowners don't understand what the what the processes are. You can't just throw stuff on the wall and expect for it to work. Right. And you can't just expect that the framing that was done four months ago and it's been drying out and the studs have been moving around that you can just attach drywall to it and it's going to be a nice flush surface. And the butt strips that you use from the studs to, to level out the wall, it's like many drywallers have no clue what those are, even are, or they just don't want to use them. To plane them down, just to make it look halfway decent. So true. So true. So let's do a hypothetical here. If one of our, somebody in our listening audience is a, is a homeowner and their project has clearly gone sideways. What's the first step for somebody like that? Would you recommend? Well, I think that, that communication, when I was building, we didn't have emails. When I, when I started building, we didn't have fax machines. You had to talk to somebody on the telephone. You couldn't write a nasty email. So I think that the, the first thing is to open up communication and just say, hey, we, we need to talk about this. And either whether it's schedule or cost or material selection or execution, you need to talk about it. And if if your party says that you're blowing smoke and there's no problem with that, a very inexpensive way to have someone evaluate the work, number one would be the architect. If there's an architect or designer that that the project come out and say, look, am, am I am I too picky? Right. Or the builder to say, look, mm-hmm. would you look at this? You designed it. How is this? How does this look? If there isn't a designer, we've successfully used some of the highest rated home inspectors that go out and do the pre-purchase inspections and have them take a look at it. Many of these are former contractors. And you say, you know, you're going to be calling out probably life safety issues, railings and steps and water heaters and that. Mm -hmm. But does this painting look anywhere like a normal industry standard? And if they start telling you, no, this is like way below the standard, you shouldn't see dry the drywall, big patches of it. Yeah. That's a great place to start. And then from that, put together a punch list for the builder and say, look, here, here's what you got to start doing. You either have to start paying attention and fix these things, 
or we're going to have to go the next step. And the next step is either hiring somebody like us or an engineer or another architect. And then to go directly to an attorney oftentimes doesn't help because our attorneys, when we get called, they say, look, we're, we have no idea what happened on that job and we're not construction professionals. We need you to come out and take a look at the work and see, number one, was it executed properly? Was the budget reasonable? Whatever the issues are, and then we can put the law to it. Yeah, yeah, great point, great point. Because, and and one thing I want to add into that, can we all agree that builders and homeowners don't go posting up on social media early on in the thing of what your complaints are? Don't air your grievances out there. You're not going to fix anything by saying contractor A didn't treat me right and this is what he's done and get the shame game going out in social media and the contractor shouldn't go, I've got this client. It seems to not ever fix anything, right? No, and, and it depends upon the platform that it goes on. You, you put something on Yelp and there's no way to defend against that. Whether it's the homeowner or the contractor, you cannot defend against something like that. It just stays there. And then it makes dispute resolution very difficult because part of the dispute resolution is a non-disparaging clause typically when you're done. If you've gone to mediation or arbitration or trial, well, if you've got that stuff you've already put out there on social media, then you either have to recant that, take that back, or it just, it's very, very difficult. So yeah, we never, we never use social media. What's right. And, and, and we've had some horrific clients because you, you, I, I like to say that I keep thinking I can change a leopard spots, but it just doesn't happen. Right. It, that you can work, yeah. even though the first two consultants can't work with them, maybe I can, and that just doesn't work. No. So, uh, yeah. And I our listening audience. Social media is the wrong yeah. place. It is. It is. And I don't know if you had caught this in the news. You and I didn't have a chance to talk about this before, but there was that we've had them. This has been a very active topic in this show, but there was a year ago, the sledgehammer contractor in Colorado Springs that decided he was going to go repo the bathroom. And he walked in to the house when the homeowner was at home and started swinging the sledgehammer. And of course the roommate filmed it all and it was on inside edition and all the TV shows around there. And she finally won that battle here this last year, but two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when he was charged with felonies and has to do some jail time over breaking into her house and destroying it. But things can get out of hand. And that was one of the ones that I'd never seen anybody try to go repo an installed bathroom before with a sledgehammer. But another one of those things that I go, huh, hadn't seen that before. And unfortunately it looks like that there's other victims that have had the same thing happen that when he didn't get paid per the schedule or change the schedule that he decided to go back with a sledgehammer and repo the project. That's only happened to me one time and it was on some slate countertops and contractor was just out there and came in, no one got to film it and just broke all the, the countertops up, just smashed them right there and destroyed the cabinets. So when you, you don't have proof it was them, it's very difficult to go there. That's another, brings up another good point is builder risk policies and have an indemnification of 
that, that the owner indemnifies the builder, the builder indemnifies the owner. You have adequate insurance for vandalism. Great point. And with crime not getting any better at this point out there, that's a, that's a good point because I have definitely seen projects that are in that 90% completion rate that somebody comes in there and breaks in and decides to throw a party on a, on a Friday night in there and the toilets get busted and the water's all over the floor and, and things get damaged and spray painted. And that can be a huge problem because now that house has got, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage to it, depending on what's happened. Yep. Yep. It's very unfortunate. What do you, let's go to the other side now from a builder standpoint. If you're a remodeler or a builder and you've got that client that's doing the same thing from the other point of view, if you're that remodeler and all of a sudden you've got a very angry client and there's a disagreement between you and the homeowner, is it kind of the same process going through or do you see that a little bit differently on what would you recommend to the contractor in that kind of situation? Well, again, I, th I think it's the communication also. We, we oftentimes see it where the project's going on swimmingly, husband and wife are happy with, like we're talking about residential rather than commercial, but everything's yep. going along fine. And then the brother-in-law comes in and is the construction professional and said, you're not going to pay for that, are you? Look at right. look at that siding. I, I think that they used the wrong kind of siding, and, but it was what was specced. And so then people start questioning the builder. So the builder, again, it's incumbent on the builder to have a reasonable contract and a reasonable expectation and not to have a contract with a whole bunch of allowances in it saying, well, we'll figure it out later. One of the things that we see most, uh, much more frequently now is delays in the job. And so it used oh, to be that you could say, well, we'll figure out the, the sinks and the appliances later. Well, now you've got a 10 to 12 week lead time. And if that's for carpet and you're, you're trying to finish the house up or move people in Installed. with a refrigerator, are you buying, are you going down to the secondhand store to get a refrigerator to put in so they can move in? It's just, if the builder doesn't spec it out and, and, uh, keep very good control of the change orders and the pricing and keep the, the customer up to speed. Oftentimes they're over a barrel and the customer just says, you're not performing and I, and it's costing too much and I'm, I'm done. Yeah. So yeah, again, it's communication, figuring out the expectations and delineating as much detail as you possibly can into the specifications before you start. Yeah. And, and in the remodel world, my rules have always been, make sure you have the materials on the job site before you start. I mean, I've had in my nearly 30 years of cabinets, I have had semi trucks get into accidents on the way to the warehouse of the custom cabinet order where the, the big wrecker brings it up to the warehouse and people are pulling the pieces of cabinets out because it ended up on its side in the ditch. And if you started that project too soon, I like to see the cabinets on the job site. I like to see the faucets sitting there, the hardware sitting there. I like to see the majority of the material sitting out the job site before demo day occurs. That way you're not stuck with those natural disaster acts of God kind of thing that can, can really destroy stuff as well as to be honest, that homeowner that says, okay, we're going to be done on January 
1st, and right, we've got a right. wedding and on so, January so 5th that we're going to do with the The clauses house. that we typically like to see in there, one is an escalation clause for increase in cost of material, okay? I mean, remember what the, what lumber prices did over the last couple of years? I mean, they were up 30 40%. So if you had bid a job and you were expecting to get yeah. clear western red cedar and it went up 30%, do you eat that or does the customer eat that, right? And the second is delay issues, shipping and, and all that stuff. I remember the container charges went from $5,000 a container to $50,000 a container for a while. So if you're getting product from somewhere that, that needs a big container, mm-hmm. you, you can't get it, right? It is somebody has to absorb that cost. And it, yeah, that Italian tile just got well, really expensive. It certainly did. And so we've got a couple of projects here. We're consulting with the owners. They're doing very high-end stuff and they've got a product a cypress siding from Japan, from a special forest in Japan that they use. They, they flame it, and so it doesn't have to be painted. Well, you talk about expensive to start with. Now you've got to put it on a container, you know, and then you got to store it. If you don't have something in there saying, when we buy it, you pay for whatever it's going to cost to get it here. It's amazing. And some lumber stuff, I mean, I, I had a home builder building a house around the corner for me, and I was chit-chatting with him because they had knocked a house down in the neighborhood here and we're building a, a bigger house in for somebody. And I was having that discussion with him a little over a year ago. And I'm like, what was the lumber package end up being? And he goes, yeah, that cost me $40,000 on the lumber package in increases from where the lumber price had gone from the day that I had came up with the budget when we did this. And by the time the lumber was delivered. 40,000 bucks is a big check for somebody to write just on a price increase. Oh, yeah. And then when copper went up, the same the same type of thing. We had a, a house, a residence. It was a $25 million build in, in the Bellevue area of Washington. Mm-hmm. And it was a concrete roof, but the roofing itself, the waterproofing was a three-part system. They could get two parts, but the third part was six months out. Oh. So you don't put a blue tarp on a $30 million home. What do you no. do? Right. And the homeowner yeah. says, just like you said, we got a wedding coming up and you need to finish the house. We can't get a certificate of occupancy because we don't have a roof. So yeah, those, and there, those, and those things are. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah, Michael, it's tough because to be honest, there's not a lot of you. It's hard to point a finger at that. Right. I mean, it's hard to go. That's a hundred percent the contractor's fault. It's a hundred percent the homeowner's fault. It's a planning mistake. It didn't get there in time, but maybe that wasn't an issue up until weeks before that that stuff was always in stock. I've had stuff where materials I've used in the past where I'm like, Oh, it's always on the shelf. And then I find out somebody on the East coast other other coast from my location was doing a high rise and they bought up everything out of every warehouse and they're getting them out of the next three months. And so something that I could go pick up every day for the last year is now three months out because somebody in a high rise needed them all. Well, yeah. And then, and two other things is you remember earlier this year, the adhesive plant down in Texas burned. So you couldn't get pear lamps. You couldn't get glue lamps. All the adhesive that was used for those things was gone. How do you how do you insure against something like that without a clause in the contract? Doing something like that or strikes. 
here in the Seattle area, the, the uh, concrete, we had, we had huge problems. They had to stop high rises because you couldn't get concrete because of the strikes. So that's that another was thing that crazy. strikes. Oh, it was, it was insane. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember their road project stopped. I mean, I felt bad for the people trying to go to the other bridge over there. They're trying to get over to West Seattle because they couldn't get anything over there. And it was just that just ground that city to a halt with construction. If there's no concrete trucks, you're in trouble. Exactly. Particularly it's a concrete bridge. No, that's interesting. And and that's that's one that we don't that we forget about is those is those strikes. And of course we see now we get hurricanes and I always see when we get big hurricane damage like what we see down in Florida, sometimes we'll start seeing material shortages with that because at that time that we start to see building up, there's communities that are needing these pieces of a project. So it's really one of those that I've run into many problems when you get into natural disasters, all of a sudden materials can be of short supply because they didn't, of course, get caught up in that. Any other advice here that you've got for for homeowners, at least, and under this subject, at least, of just trying to just make sure that they get the contract and have that cool head in the discussions with the contractor? Because I know, man, it just seems right now that I'm seeing more and more construction issues in the in that poor communication between homeowner and contractor right now. Yeah, I think that We've got some pretty good resources on our website and some of how to interview a contractor, what to have in the contract, how to deal with, with certain issues. And one, one, and I, it's all free on the website, but one thing that I, I always suggest is if you have a budget that you carve 10% out of that budget, that is contingency because you will go over your budget and if you if you sign a contract with all the dollars that you got to do, it's it's going to go over. You're going to change your mind. Most people see in two dimension, and when they walk into that house, and Eric, I know we've talked about this. They see the walls up. They say, "Oh, it looks a lot smaller. Can we open this up? Put another window in? Raise the ceiling? Whatever." But our our website is www.constructionresolution.com, and are free and take a look. We put a bulletin out every once in a while. And we have a special section of crazy pictures of stuff we've seen in the past. So people enjoy <laughs> that. You're going to have to write a book one of these days, my friend, about all the stories. You could just write it out there, change the names to protect the innocent, but uh, you could probably do a heck of a book on that. We've been, we've been told that when, when I started this in 93 and we run about 150 cases current all the time for all those years we have thousands of stories <laughs> yeah and some some are not some are not too good but some of them are very instructive because you'll have to help me write it oh i'm in i'm in there's a lot of good stories there there's a lot of good stories one last thing before we go i wanted to see are you have are you dealing with any issues with the house flipping trend out there there's so many people out there that are that are buying homes because of what they see on HDTV and maybe it's a homeowner flipping or there's people that are trying to flip out there. Are you are you seeing any of that come across your desk? We see a tremendous amount of that. And as a matter of fact, just I'm not sure about Oregon, but the state of Washington put is put together a statute specifically to stop flipping by non-contractors. So that 
you can't just buy a house, throw some stuff in it and and flip it if you don't own it for a couple of years. And it's codified so that labor and industries can actually go after these these people. But the problem the problem with a flipper is that you don't have any of the insurance that a builder would have on defects in the in the property. So you have Eric Gorenson, if you're not a general contractor and you go out there and you buy something and you you do the plumbing yourself and you do the electrical yourself and you don't get a permit, somebody buys it and the thing burns down or they cover it up rot. Your only recourse, there's no insurance to go back after like you would have with a commercial general liability policy or a, a bond of a builder is for a non-disclosure lawsuit. So then you're you're throwing ten to fifteen thousand dollars at a lawyer. You're hiring somebody like us to go through the house with a hope and a promise that you, the seller actually has something. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's and a many it's times a huge they don't problem. Yeah, yeah, they're talking about doing that here in Oregon right now. As far as doing what they're doing up in Washington. I love to see that when Washington did it. They're working on that in Oregon because it needs to happen. I mean, I I called it out. It was probably, it was right at the beginning of COVID. I was watching on YouTube and a buddy said, hey, you need to see this. And there was this guy and his dad that obviously had no construction knowledge. They were flipping a house and video two was sitting there and they've since taken them down because I called them out on the radio and and had it up on my Facebook page with the video. It was a single story ranch house. And they said one day they're like, oh, they pulled the drywall down. They're like, I want to do a cathedral ceiling. They just cut the trusses off and nailed two by sixes onto those and called it a day. And it was just sistered right, up two by six. I'm the like, first snowstorm. Yeah. Or the first inspector goes on the roof to take a look at it and they fall through. I mean, I was, yeah. I was horrified. I mean, at first I thought it was a spoof video that they were tearing the house down and somebody's like, Hey, let's make a cute YouTube video and make fun of house flippers. And I'm like, Oh no, these cats are serious. And, Oh, it just made me ill. And that was happening here in Portland you know, in my city that I'm in. Well, we, we've seen, I, I think I was in a house the last year where it was flipped and they used garden hose to hook up the hot water heater. So they, they, they put ends on it, which first of all, can't handle the pressure. And second of all, can't handle the heat, right? And <laughs> the water heater was in a closet of the nursery for the baby. And so I'm just thinking that thing blows. There's steam all over the place. <sighs> And of course, they never got an inspection. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Now, for people out there, this just came to mind. Do you recommend if someone's having a custom house built, do you recommend bringing in a third-party inspector to go in and take a look at, at framing and things like that at, at certain benchmarks along the way? I've seen people starting to do that a little bit more out there. Do you recommend to have that third-party person come in and take a look before things get hidden up? Well, it's always good to have a, a second set of eyes put on something and, and to rely on it. Oftentimes, you can get the designer of record to agree to do that, to go out at foundation, go out at framing, look at the how the drywall's hung, things like that. 
You can also, there are independent inspectors called special inspectors through the International Council of Building Officials, ICBO, and they come out and do special inspections. They can look at shear wall and framing and concrete. But the third is an independent company like us to go out and just at, at certain benchmarks, go out, take a look at the bills, take a look at the progress of the work, take a look at the execution of the work. And what we end up doing is actually act, acting not only as an inspector, but kind of a mediator between the parties where the builder says, look, th- this is this is industry standard. And the homeowner says, no, my brother-in-law says it's no good. And we say, look, this is industry standard. Or, or yeah, yeah. You, you need to clean this stuff up. You got to you, you, you got to tidy up your, your painting or whatever it is. But having somebody like that, the problem is, Eric, people don't have the money for it because they've spent their entire budget just trying to build the house and they don't have $100 an hour or $200 an hour for a special inspector to go out and spend some time. They just they just figure the builder is going to do it okay. And that's like buying the Ferrari but forgetting to buy the, the collision insurance for it. Exactly. Yep. Can't got the car, just can't afford anything else on it. So it's crazy. So Michael, anything else that we have not covered on here in this kind of subject today? Any other tips that you've got before we head out? The only other thing would be a tip for builders. Uh, we do a lot of personal injury work here and defending builders on, on anything from trip and falls to wrongful death. And that is to have an established safety plan and have your employees follow that plan and educate educated about that plan so that there's a, a response to an injury and everybody knows what to do and how to report it, particularly when labor and industry comes in and, and finds it. And it could be the homeowner, it could be a passerby, it could be somebody coming under the job after the job is, but, but having a good safety plan and a good line of communication. So if somebody in our area needs to get a hold of you, that's best over at constructionresolution.com? That's the easiest way. They can send its, the messages to us and set up a conference call, whatever. Yep. Michael Showalter, thanks for coming on today, my it's friend. It's always good to talk. It's been great to talk to you too, my friend. I'm Eric G, and you've been listening to Around the House. Somewhere unseen and undiscovered, anywhere beyond the mean, life is a love song, let's be lovers. We're all over the radio, take my Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.